0: Andy Murray, best known for his emotional win at Wimbledon, making him the first Brit to win in 77 years. Probably the most stressful 10 or 15 minutes of my life. Andy's success is especially meaningful to his hometown of Dunblane, which was site of the deadliest school shooting in British history. Andy was at the school when it happened. It's a very personal thing. And yeah, I was obviously very young when it happened. But feels great
1: pride in putting his town on the map for something positive. Just it's a really strong, strong community. And I'm glad, you know, I've been able to do something um, that makes them proud after
0: several years of near misses in major tournaments and
1: people ask you more questions
0: about why you haven't won and what are the reasons for that andy has climbed to the top of his sport with the gold medal in the 2012 olympics followed by us open and wimbledon
1: championships what was the most satisfying you know i think mentally I kind of showed myself that I was strong enough um, to come back from, you know, tough, tough
0: losses. We sat down with Andy after a day of training in Miami to speak about his tennis career and how it all started. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I was talking to somebody uh, close to you recently and how true is it that you can pretty much remember every point you've played at, after a match?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it does depend on some of the matches and some of the situations. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the time you come off, uh, come off the court and remember, uh, yeah, pretty much every point. Sometimes you have to think about it a little bit and it takes a bit of prompting. But yeah, I can remember, remember most of what happened during, during a match. Hey, how often will you get
0: on YouTube after meeting a player uh, to look up video uh, of that person and kind of figure out h- how you would play the individual?
1: Uh, well, I actually I had an injury when I was like s- uh, 16, 17 on my knee and I didn't play uh, any competitions for six months and I, be- I pretty much spent um, hours um, every day watching matches, um, writing down tactics and ways that I would play against certain, uh, certain players that were on the pro tour at the time. Um, that actually helped me quite a lot once I got onto the tour because I knew a lot of the players. Um, and when I was practicing with them or playing with them in matches, I kind of already had tactics sorted and, and knew how to, to play against a lot of them or how I would play against a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I watch watch a lot of tennis on, on the internet. And
0: how, how does that help when you're actually in the match? Uh,
1: I, I just think if if you watch... Uh, if If you're into a sport and you watch a lot of it, um, you know, as well as obviously play it a lot too. You can see, you'll see little, uh, little things that, you know, not everyone will, will be able to, to pick up on. And, and when you're in, uh, in the match in a tight situation, it's very important to be able to think clearly and know what your tactics are and to remember them because, you know, I, I watch a lot of boxing and it's one of those things, everyone has tactics until they get hit and then the tactics kind of go out the window and people start making mistakes, that the same kind of applies in tennis, that you need to remember when things aren't going your way. You need to remind yourself exactly of what your your tactics are to beat every player.
0: And it's interesting, you said that's very important to be able to change uh, tactics, uh, make adjustments mid-match, but then, when you're in that situation, when something's going wrong, you said it, it's sometimes really hard to actually be able to get yourself to do that. Um, in what ways?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's just, you know, you get angry and frustrated um, at yourself uh, with how the result's going, sometimes how you're playing. You know, sometimes you can, if you're behind, it's easy to, to look ahead and, and worry about losing the match. Um, but. Since I was a kid, I didn't always have much power or strength. I didn't hit the ball much harder than everyone else. So it, tactics was a huge part of my game. And if I am frustrated and angry, that's when you forget actually to you know, use the, the right tactics and how you're going to beat an opponent. So it's been a big part of my maturing process to remember exactly um, you know the the tactics and and the mental side is a huge part of my game and when I'm switched on mentally and I'm not getting angry and frustrated with myself I can use you know my tactics much much better
0: and i was going to say it's not just kind of physical tactics it's mental as well i mentioned i was speaking to your uh, longtime trainer jez green and he, he was speaking about how you can determine how to best kind of play a person mentally whether that's you know being very aggressive or being more casual how does that um help and how do you go about determining that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that comes with experience and playing matches. You you start to understand, you know, how to play against certain opponents and also how to play certain situations. Um, You know, there's certain points in matches where it's important to make sure you don't make a mistake um, and just make every single ball and force your opponent into an error. And sometimes you need, to, you need to be aggressive and you need to be the one dictating. And that's something that you basically learn just from playing matches, gaining more experience that way. And you, you're
0: unafraid to uh, shout on court, get angry. Oftentimes you do it in the direction of friends, family, or coaches, but, but it's not actually at them. Uh, explain that.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, well, for me, the best way I can explain it is when I get pumped up as well or I'm happy on the court, I also do it in the direction of the the box. Um, you know, 99% of the time I'm pretty mad at, at myself or angry at myself. But, you know, when you're playing in front of, you know, sometimes there's tens of millions of people watching and you're in a big stadium, you know, if you're a bit self-conscious, the natural thing to do, if you're doing something that's maybe a bit childish or immature or whatever it is would be to look at the people that kind of make you feel uh more comfortable um and maybe understand uh understand those emotions uh, and what you're going through a little bit better so I've, I've done it since uh, since quite a young age. Your former coach, uh, Brad Gilbert, says outside of
0: Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe, you, you play better angry than anyone uh, he's ever seen. But your current coach, uh, Von Lendl, uh, says the less you do that, the better you play. Um, how true do you think that is?
1: I, I just think it's, it's a balancing act. I mean, there's look, there's certain days where you know, you, you need you need to give yourself that little lift or whatever it is if you're you know, if you're feeling a bit tired or a bit sluggish that sometimes, you know, shouting at yourself or, you know, Ging yourself up a little bit will, you know, will help. There's there's certain situations like a big, big final, where you're already very nervous, you know, the pressure's there, you're gonna be fired up anyway. That it's important to conserve your energy and not use up, um, you know, too much of your energy on sort of emotions and you know shouting or getting pumped up after you played a good point. It's better to play a little bit more level-headed, um, and that's something again that you learn over time.
0: When speaking to how competitive you are, there are uh, famous stories of you as a kid, like getting uh, ticked off at your dad because he picked the wrong numbers on uh, a lottery ticket, so he didn't end up winning, or uh, you know, with your uh, what was it? Um, Oh, grandparents playing Monopoly, throwing the uh, Monopoly boards over. How much do you like genuinely hate to lose?
1: Uh, it, if it's something that I think that I'm good at, I hate losing at it. I don't mind losing so much if, you know, I don't think I'm any good at something. Like, I'm happy to try and it's fine. But, you know, there's I've played loads of sports since I was a young kid, so I enjoy playing them. I like playing with, with friends socially, but, you know, I I have a, a lot of fun doing it. But yeah, winning and losing is part of sport. and. I much much prefer the winning part of it, so it doesn't matter, yeah, you know, what 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 sport it is I'm playing. I'll try and try and win.
0: Um, I know you're big into uh, nutrition, and you don't take protein drinks or supplements. But what do you do to replenish yourself? Uh,
1: I'll take I will take protein shakes um, at certain certain times. Um, it's just now with you know the way things are with, with you know the drug testing and stuff so you need to be incredibly careful with what you take especially you know you can't buy things over the counter you need to make sure that everything's checked you know extremely well so that you know there's no issues and that's why you know i just i'm not into taking a lot of products because the less the less that you can less you can take the the better you don't want any risk of contamination or you know, whatever it could be, uh, you know, I try and work extremely hard um, to to get in the, the position that I'm in, and you know, it's not worth uh, it's not worth the risk taking. You know, a dodgy protein shake or, or whatever it is. You just gotta gotta make sure that you're professional. And um, that's, that's a genuine thing.
0: concern though uh, of yours, just ma- making sure you never. Re- I mean. You'd rather avoid taking supplements than risk getting Yeah, it's, it's ab-
1: more, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just something that I'm, yeah, I would say I would be scared of scared of doing, and, you know, some people are a bit more laid back with it. I certainly would have been, you know, four or five years ago, but now, you know, I've been working really, really hard to get into the position that I'm in, um, you know, and I wouldn't want to, to mess it up by, you know. Just taking a whole bunch of products, not knowing what's in them, and then failing a, a drugs test. So, you've got to be very, very careful as an athlete and very professional. Um, you know, I'd take basic stuff like fish oils, um, glucosamine for, for my joints, um, and I'll take protein shakes from, from time to time if I've had a, a hard day's training, but um, nothing in any more depth than that. When did
0: you make the decision to really fully commit? your life to tennis?
1: Uh, I, I went over to train in, in Barcelona in Spain when I was 15. Um, and I'd say that was probably it, because that was when I, I mean moved away from my family. Because I used to play in Scotland, I probably played five or six hours of tennis a week. And I was playing basically four or five hours a day over in Spain. So that was a huge, huge change to me. And that was when I started to become more professional. I learned how to work hard, I learned how to be disciplined. and that would have been it, probably around 15, 16 years old. And and it's interesting, you were playing
0: uh, for Britain in an under-16 championship in the final against Spain, Uh, and after the match you go and play racquetball with Rafa Nadal. You both, you know, were around the same age in your mid-teens at the time, and what was it about that racquetball match that ended up being so impactful on you? I
1: mean, he didn't speak much English, I didn't speak much Spanish, but... I just asked him about, you know, who and and how he trains over in Spain and who he trains with. And he was practicing, you know, for a few hours uh, a day when he was there and uh, he was practicing with Carlos Moya, who's a former number one in the world. He won the French Open, Um, you know, and I was practicing, you know, just a few hours a week um, with uh, with my brother. And, you know, that was when I realized that if I wanted to try and. Go to the next level and become a professional. I was going to have to change sort of the environment I was training in, and um, that's one of the reasons why I moved to Spain.
0: But but it it made you angry learning that. That, I mean, why
1: why did it uh, frustrate you so much? Uh, Well, I think like when when you're very competitive. I mean, even at that age, that was when you know start to realise. You know that I didn't have enough sort of opportunity um, in in Scotland and I couldn't do it the weather um, not enough courts and obviously with school I couldn't play enough and you know when he was by far the best player he's one year older than me um, you know and he was he was much better than all, all of the players there and one of the reasons for that is that he was getting great practice and with with top players and you know enough hours on the court and that was why I was frustrated, that. and I remember I called called my mum afterwards and said I wanted to I wanted to go and go and go and try out Spain. Uh,
0: why do you think it's one of the best decisions you've ever made?
1: Um, because training in the in the UK, well, there was players that were better than me or of equal standard. Um, that stayed in the UK to train and a lot of them stopped playing a couple of years later. Um, I feel like they have a great understanding of how to teach players how to play the game and in Spain they have a you know a philosophy really and all of the coaches teach the same way. Um, you know, you do the same sort of drills and practices as as the top players do. Um, and that helps when you see them doing the same exercise that you're doing on on the court. And you know, no one no one cares. Like, you know, if you're you know, I was the number one in Great Britain, but you know, when you go over to Spain, no one has any idea who you are, you know, so you're just kind of a yeah, you're a small fish in in a big pond. There's no um there's no way of getting out of hard work there. And I was practising with guys that were much older than me and much better than me and That was how I learned learned what standards were of a professional athlete. Uh, The
0: 2012 Wimbledon, you you lost to uh, Roger Federer, and I I believe from what you've said that might have been the the most personally difficult one for uh, you to get over. Um, The the runner-up speech that you gave after that, um, what was it that uh, made you so
1: emotional? I think, you know, so I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. It'd been a long time since any British uh, man had won at Wimbledon, uh, so it would have been 76 years. Uh, You know, I pretty much really got reminded about that most days of my life. You know, and it's not a joke, I would literally get asked about it every single day in press conferences. As tennis players, we do maybe 80 to 100 press conferences a year, one after every single match and before every tournament. And people might not understand
0: that in the States because I don't think there's any event that has similar stature to that and any one person that's tied to an event. In our country, similar to how yeah. you were uh, in yeah, Britain, I mean, I mean what, what's that
1: pressure like? I tried to kind of, I got asked by a few American journalists at the time, you know, what it was like, and the example I used was, you know, someone like a LeBron James, who, you know, was, you know, probably the he was the best player in the league, but hadn't, you know, won uh, an NBA championship, and with every year that that kind of goes on the pressure builds more and more and people ask you more questions about why you haven't won and what are the reasons for that and you know is it a mental thing Um, you know I saw a lot of times people were saying that in the fourth quarter of games you know Lebron James he wouldn't take the final shot he wanted to pass he didn't want to be the guy you know to, to maybe make the mistake and that just continues to build over time, so... Yeah, but it, it would be like that if he was the only person representing
0: the, the US and the only person yeah. that kind of yeah, had well, the <laughs> chance to...
1: Yeah, I think... Yeah, that was just, you know, right. kind of a, the best sort of example that I, that I could find that people might understand, but... Yeah, it's just very, very difficult. There's, you know, an extreme amount of pressure during Wimbledon, not just for me, but all of the British players, and then the closer you get to winning an event like that, it's tough and that losing in that final in 2012 against uh, Federer was, uh, was a tough one for me, um, you know, mentally, um, but I'd, I did also think that that's that was the best I'd played in a Grand Slam final and that's why I got over it a bit quicker, but at the time, for the few days afterwards, it was, it was, very, uh, it was very tough. You, you said you actually had a dream after that loss
0: that you had won the Wimbledon final, and then you yeah. woke up after that. Was that, I mean, that, that impacted you?
1: Uh, yeah, it certainly didn't It didn't help any. The, 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 the thing that helped the most, really, was that the Olympics was coming so soon afterwards, and not, not many athletes get a chance to compete in in Olympics for a start, but also having one, you know, in, in your country. Um, you know that doesn't that doesn't happen often, so I was very very pumped up about that, and that's that really helped me get over the Wimbledon loss very quickly. But,
0: but interestingly, you said you began to accept that you may not win a, a Grand Slam, and it was once you started accepting that that you felt like the game began to begin to improve.
1: Yeah, I think that it probably helped a little bit in uh, in certain situations. Um, but it was more maybe away from the court um, that it helped too. That I was just kind of maybe tried to some of that pressure because I was living every single day. Like as soon as I lost in a Grand Slam, I was straight away thinking about the next Grand Slam and sometimes it was four or five months away. And that's just, that's not the right way to approach things. You need to kind of, as an athlete, boring, but you need to kind of go every single day, just try to get a little bit better every day.
0: And you end up obviously a year later uh, winning the 2013 Wimbledon, the first Brit in 77 years to uh, do so, but as you mentioned, uh, following the 2012 Wimbledon loss, only weeks later, you basically have a rematch of the Wimbledon final against Roger Federer, same location, only instead of a a Wimbledon title being on the line, it's Olympic gold in the 2012 uh, London Olympics. What was the most satisfying part of that Olympic gold victory
1: for you? Well, I think, I mean, the things you mentioned there, it was against the same opponent on the same court literally four weeks later that, you know, I think mentally I kind of showed myself that I was strong enough um, to come back from, you know, tough, tough losses. I also showed that I was actually learning from, you know, a very, very tough, um, tough defeat. Um, And also the... The, the, the crowd in the in the uh, in the Olympic final was very, very different to the Wimbledon final. It was, they, they were really on your side. I mean, it was, yeah. right? I mean, that, uh, yeah, that and and like, it, and completely. Yeah, and I think, you know, it does make a huge difference. Someone like um, Roger, is so popular all over the world, so it doesn't matter where you play. If it's in London or Australia, you know, he gets great support everywhere he goes. And it was the first time I'd kind of been on a court against him where the whole crowd was uh supporting me and it made you know i think it, it definitely has a bearing on how the match sort of plays out it was a very different crowd to, to the wimbledon final to what extent did you realize it was going to be that way uh, pretty much when we walked out on the court um you, you just see all of the flags and all the different colors during wimbledon it's it's not quite like that um but yeah when literally as soon as we walked on the court uh, you could see it, and then it's only
0: weeks after that you end up winning the 2012 uh, U.S. Open, your first uh, Grand Slam. But uh, w- why take the bathroom break uh, before the uh, fifth set?
1: Yeah, well, it was. I mean, there's a few reasons for for. It. I mean, we've been playing. I think it was over four hours at the time, so uh, you might have had to go yeah, to uh, You know, we obviously we drink quite a lot too. Um, but I, I mean, know, there was more to that, it, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, I went. I basically went off the court, and uh, yeah, I just looked to myself in the in the mirror, and you know, I'd been up two sets to love, and he'd come back. And I won the next two sets, and it was kind of slipping away from me a little bit. And I just sort of said to myself that, you know, I can't I can't lose this match. Uh, you know, I, I've got to go out there and give. Give. I was basically speaking to myself and just saying, give everything you've got, come away with no regrets. Um, and I think. It helped a lot. It settled me down. I broke him in the very first game and, and went on to, to win the match. And I think the difference, the difference was, I mean, both of us were very tired at the end. It was a long match, but you know, I'd never won a Grand Slam before, and I think I just wanted to win just just a, a little bit more and made a difference. To, to what extent was there a sense of relief after that?
0: I mean, I mean you, you would think that it's all, all celebration, but from what what I've read, there was almost an overwhelming sense of relief
1: on, on your end. Yeah, I think that was immediate sort of uh, sensation or feeling that I had when I was on the court and even for a few days afterwards, because it was strange, I wasn't like out partying and stuff, I was just... I was just kind of in a, in a bit of a daze. I didn't know kind of what exactly had happened. Um, I wasn't sleeping particularly well, but you know I wasn't tired either. You know, so I would sleep like two hours and I would be wide awake. And you know, obviously after sort of ten days or so, that kind of takes its toll on you a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was just so relieved. I worked really hard to to finally do it. Um, I'd overcome a lot of tough losses, um, and in the space of. A couple of months from the Wimbledon final loss, um, you know, I turned pretty much my whole career around from being sort of, I guess, a nearly man and and, and nearly winning Grand Slams to winning an Olympic gold and and winning a Grand Slam. And then that was basically the end of the first part of my career. And I would said after that, I just want to concentrate now on on the rest of my career and and enjoy it. Your first
0: coach was probably the person who first put the racket in your hand when you were two years old, your mother, uh, Judy, who was also the coach for the Scottish uh, National Tennis
1: Team. What did you learn from her uh, about the game? Um, The most important thing that my mum kind of did with me and my brother when we were growing up was that she made it fun. I think in an individual sport, it's very important for kids uh, to enjoy it. You know, I think it can be also easy for parents to put a lot of pressure on their kids. Um, And I see it a lot around tennis tournaments and I've spoken to a lot of tennis parents now. And I always try and say just let them enjoy it because if they don't, once you get to a certain age, um, you know, where you're allowed to kind of make the decision as to whether you play tennis or not, it's easy to just stop, because you're not going to enjoy it if you're under pressure from a young age. And Every time I went on the court with my brother and my mom, I had a great time. She was always smiling, always finding fun things for us to do, and it made a big difference. There was no pressure on us ever to play. Me and my brother at certain times, I stopped to play um, football or some soccer for you know, four or five weeks and not hit a tennis ball. And it was never like, you, you must play tennis. This is the only thing you could do. And with my brother, the same thing happened with golf. He, he stopped playing tennis for three, four months at a time and was just playing golf. So she was just very encouraging and um, you know, made, it, made it good fun. You wrote in your
0: autobiography, uh, quote, my whole tennis career happened because when I was growing up, my brother was much better than me at most things. Uh, explain how you think that impacted you.
1: Well, my brother is 15 months older than me, and we pretty much started playing tennis at the same time. And we do, because we were so close in age, we would literally play all sports together. And he was always a little bit smarter, he was a bit bigger, stronger, and just better than me at all sports. And, you know, I used to lose to him a lot and I was always from a young age, I was always trying to get better. I was always trying to, I looked up to my brother and I wanted to be as good at him, as good as him at all these different things. And I think that's one of the reasons why today I've always been trying to, always keep trying to to improve. and probably one of the reasons why I became very competitive, because from a young age, I used to lose a lot. I used to lose a lot to him, uh, <laughs> which I didn't like. Obviously, being my brother, but it's something that you learn how to deal with. And the best way I found to deal with losing was to try even harder the next time um, to to win. And that was it. So tell about the first time you finally beat your brother. Yeah, I remember the uh, first can time. Can we that- see the fingernail too? Yeah, you can well, I don't know if you can see it there. It's that one that's kind of still okay, you can yeah, see sure. it's, but it's broken right. here. Yeah, it's never grown back properly because yeah, when I beat him uh we played <laughs> a, in a tournament in Solihull and we sat next to each other on the minibus on the way back which probably a mistake from my my mum letting us do that. She would have known what was going to happen and I was obviously winding him up. Um that I'd beaten him um for the first time and he punched me on the finger, uh, and yeah, when we got off at of the, the service station, my finger had turned completely blue, and yeah, lost, lost my fingernail, which I wasn't that disappointed with, but something I always remember, because I see it every single day, it's never grown back properly.
0: I, I know this is a sensitive subject, so I'm not going to ask you, certainly not going to ask you about the actual uh, event, and I know um, you have limited knowledge of this because you were young at the time in elementary school, but uh, you were at school at the time when a gunman opened fire at your school uh, and it ended up being one of the the worst shooting in British history, school shooting. You know, I wonder, um, looking back on that, how um, impressed, proud are you of how your town has recovered from that?
1: Yeah, well, it's been, they recovered unbelievably well from it. I mean, it's not something that, you know, anyone would ever ever want to go through, but um, it's something that, you know, obviously, when I go back there, um, you know, for me personally, it's been nice to do something, you know, I'm, ve- I'm very proud of, of where, where I come from, where I've grown up. So yeah, when I get the chance to, uh, you know, I like to go back. Like after, um, you know, the Olympics and the U.S. Open, I went back to celebrate back home with, with everyone and the whole, the whole town's recovered unbelievably well. Um, a lot of my family still live there. Um, I've spent, I mean, my grandparents have been there 40, 50 years. My mum's lived there all of her life. My dad still lives there, so. Yeah, we all go back there um, you know, as much as we can, and um, it's, uh, it's a great little time.
0: A few years ago, you mentioned you began researching it and looking into what happened a lot. Why was that important
1: to you to do? Uh, well, I think it's, it's gonna be a pretty important part of anybody's life, something like that. Um, it's a very personal thing. Um, and yeah, well, I was obviously very young when it happened, so I had limited knowledge of how big an event it was and, and exactly what, what had happened, and just important to, to know. You know, I just, I just wanted to know. I was very curious about it. it was something I probably tried to kind of black out from my memory, and it's still not something I particularly enjoy talking about. As you continue to have tennis success,
0: how special is it for you to be able to put a positive light
1: on the the town yeah that's that's one of the, the nice things of, of what I've, I've got to do I, like i said when i went back to celebrate after us open and you know the whole time was was out there and you know on the tennis courts and just on the streets i got to see loads of you know my teachers and friends from back at school and yeah it's just it's a really strong strong community and I'm glad you know I've been able to do something um, that makes them proud.
0: What was that turnout like when you came back to Dunblane for your homecoming? I mean, how, how amazed were you by how packed the streets were with people?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was pretty amazing because I'd never done anything like that before, so you have no idea how many people are going to come if anybody's going to come at all um it was obviously raining uh as always in, in scotland <laughs> on the day so that you also think that maybe that's going to put a lot of people off too but <clears throat> like i said it was just it was really nice a lot of people came out um you know and necessarily feel like it was a celebration for for me it was for for everybody and i i could like I say I, I got to see so many people that I knew from back, you know, back home, from school teachers, uh, people I grew up playing tennis with, tennis coaches. Um, and yeah, it was just walking down the high street is a walk that I used to do every single day back from school. Um, it's, so, it's a tiny little place, but I remember when I was a kid, that felt like such a long walk. And it was like nowadays, it's literally it's like a one-minute walk up the street. But before, just from my memory, you know, from when you're small, everything seems so much bigger. but yeah, it was just, it was nice. There was so, so many people there, and it was a good day. The,
0: the state of British tennis, uh, in reading your autobiography, and obviously your opinion uh, could have been changed because the book was, could have changed since the book was several years ago, but I, I was surprised at some of the really harsh words you you had about uh, the, the state of tennis there, at least. Uh, then you wrote in your book, I didn't want to train at one of the national centers in the UK because of the attitude of players and some of the coaches. uh, You went on to say they're spoiled, pretty lazy. Um, Same feelings now or has your opinion changed since
1: then? Um, Yes, I mean, it's it's a tough one because I'm not around it as much at that age. um, When I I was younger, I spent, I used to travel with a, a lot of the players and the coaches and I would go on trips with the national, you know, federation and the top four or five players and you know when I would go and train down in in london you know i would i would be around the um you know be around the, the national centre so i would I would see it now i'm I'm not around it as much but you know we, you know with the amount of money that's invested in the sport and has been over a number of years the 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 lack of depth is um is something that needs to well, it's, it's got, got, got to change. Why do you believe there was so much jealousy
0: and negativity at the time?
1: I don't know. It was, um, you know, it was an interesting, it was an interesting situation to <clears throat> to be in as, as a young player because, you know, when we used to travel as a group, it was just, you know, everyone would kind of get on off the court, but it was almost like no one wanted anyone to do well when they were on the court. And these are kind of friends of yours, and there was just, It was a sort of competition, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a nice competition. It wasn't a nice feeling, and that was, you know, again one of the reasons why I went over to Spain because I just wanted to be away from all of that nonsense. Because it just doesn't help being bitter and and jealous, and you know, not supporting each other. Um, And I don't know exactly why it was. And you said it was much different in, in
0: Spain. What suggestions would you have for how to fix it?
1: I think just being supportive of each other, wanting you know your friends and you know your your uh, your your training partners to do well, I think a lot of it um, you know whereas in in Spain and in France where there's a lot of depth that you know that you have a club system and people are very attached to their clubs when when you're in the UK a lot of the trips basically so you go away on a trip it's dictated by you know who's the top four or five players in each particular age group and because there isn't loads of players we practice with each other all the time and it was like if you were number three sometimes you wouldn't get to go on a trip so in some ways you would want the guy that's number two to do badly so that you would then you know, move up to the number two spot. So you would then get selected for a trip. And it was just, it just, just, doesn't, just doesn't work that way. It's better if everyone's supporting each other. You, you just get away from all of it. Um, and yeah, there's less, less things to worry about. In the remaining uh, moments I have with you, there was one story
0: I heard you tell, which I, I thought was uh, pretty funny. You're getting ready to uh, be honored recently by Prince William in the UK, and right as you're getting ready to leave, uh, drug testers showed up?
1: Yeah, yeah, literally. How does that work? It was almost like it was planned. Uh, Which maybe it was. Yeah, well, yeah, so basically I was just, I was basically getting changed to go in my suit. The car was waiting outside to take us. Got a knock on the door, well, they they rang the the door, and it was the drug testers, and, you know there's certain rules now with the drug testing where when you have blood taken you have to sit down for 20 minutes before they can take the blood so i was getting ready to go and then obviously they arrive you have to sit down and wait for te- 20 minutes before they can take the blood the car's waiting outside and obviously a pretty big day you don't want to be don't want to be late for that so then yeah you're sitting there have to wait for the blood you know have it have it done and then yeah, I was, I was at the door, and thankfully, thankfully, made it on time. But you know, it's just one, it's one of those things. now, the drug testing is getting a lot more strict across all sports because there's been you know a number of problems across a lot of sports now, and it's something that it's it's probably it's going to get more and more strict. There's been more and more testing, which is is good, and it's really the the only way you know for the the public to have you know confidence that. They're watching clean sport, because that's that's what everybody wants to see. Really a pleasure, Andy. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Thanks for making the time to do this. No problem. Thanks for listening to the
0: In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Graham Bensinger, and visit grahambensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.